0: Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Good morning, God bless you all am i on not on yes i am on great Just can be seated adjust the mic and get it happening well it's always a pleasure to be at redcliffe and uh, i want to thank you for your incredible contribution through faith love and hope season um your generosity not only just allows us to continue the great work here at Redcliffe, but also to touch nations around the world, to rescue children out of slavery and sexual trafficking in Cambodia, to keep uh, generations safe through red frogs, uh, start new campuses as we already have this year on um, the uh, grounds of the University of Queensland, and uh, because of the generosity of City Point Church, we're able to do this. As a matter of fact, even though we've got rising interest rates, fuel's gone higher, power's gone up, this year was the largest faith, love, hope offering we've ever had in our history. Um, so, well done to you all. And I wanna thank every one of you for that. Um, I also wanna thank uh, Pastor Carolina for her courageous leadership. Give her a hand and say. <laughs> yeah. Courageous at every level. And uh, if there was ever a time of woman hear me roar, it's right now as we uh, follow her into her future in this great church. And thank every one of you uh, for standing by uh, her and the leadership of the, team, the leadership team here as we continue to move into a great future where we can unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. Uh, right now, I'd love to come around a time of uh, generosity where we bring our tithes and offerings to the house. And... Um, uh, you should know the ways of giving by now we'll have containers go past in a little while but I think there's uh, all sorts of ways there's FPOS online, text all those sorts of things, you should have your routine sort of in place, but let me encourage you uh, Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10 says this Uh, honor the Lord with your possessions and with all the first fruits of all of your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine it says honor God with your possessions did you realize everything we own we can honor God with if you have a mobile phone you can honor God with that by inviting people to church if you have a motor car you can honor God with that by helping bring somebody to church if you have a house, you can honor God by bringing people over and building community. It says honor God with all that we own. And then it goes on, and honor God with your first fruits of your increase, your tithes and your offerings. And uh, I love it that the Bible promises us that our, our barns shall be filled and our vats shall overflow. There, there's a promise to me that says this. It doesn't matter what you think about what the world is doing or saying. If you trust in me and do what I say, I will bless you uh giving will never make you poorer bad money management makes you poorer lack of self-control with that credit card makes you poorer but giving will never make you poorer and you can trust god in this so today let's get ready to honor god with who we are let's honor god with our possessions and honor god with our tires and offerings would you hold that offering in your hand or in your heart if you're giving electronically let me pray over it father i thank you today As we come before you, you are the Lord of all things. God, I honor you with my giving today. I thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega of all things. I thank you, God, that in you I can bring myself and trust that my future will be safe. And amen. Lord, I pray that this offering, as we bring it to you, you would bless it. And you would multiply it that it would do good in our city and our nation and the world around us. God, let it do what it was called to do. Bless the world. And I pray, God, blessing on those who give today in Jesus' mighty name and all that agreed said, amen and amen. Let's receive that wonderful offering today. And uh, it is good to be back. It's good to see you all. Um, great days ahead. I. I find it fascinating that uh, what's happening in the world around us, the days that we live in, who knows that the seasons are changing. And uh, we the church are got to be ready for the next season the world's moving into. The world's going a little crazy, uh, it's always been crazy, um, but it's getting a little crazy for us as we move into the future. Uh, you might have realized that back in the early part of the year, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, media around our school uh, just trying to keep boys out of girls' toilets. Um, but the, uh, the media storm was meant to go hard against us, but at the end of the day, we have now record enrollments for second semester in our schools, so all the media has actually... <laughs> <laughs> has actually grown us. And, uh, and uh, so it's, it's amazing what, God, what, people will, will, what the devil will use for evil, how God can turn around and, and turn it in for good. And um, so I look forward to the days ahead. Uh, with uh, how we stand uh, in this world that we live in once upon a time the church was seen as the pillar and now we're somewhat the enemy Um, and uh, there's a moral war going on in regards in the spirit and then in the natural as well so I wanted to speak to you today on the topic of since it's elephant in the room uh, the topic of what is immorality what what is immorality and the one thing I know uh, that when the season gets confusing like it is right now that we're moving into the generation the year we're in we must have a very clear understanding of what the Bible says uh, if you're not clear on what the Bible says you will be a confused Christian uh, because the world's messages are coming against and pushing hard against the biblical truths so what what is immorality you know we live in an era and it's been for quite a while where we are bombarded by sexual images, uh, sexual definitions, uh, whether it be online, or social media, or TV, or even in advertising. Uh, we are continually bombarded by the concept of sexuality, and there's a very significant reason for that. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I remember 30 years ago, in my first trip to the United States, um, a couple of guys, we went over, and we are doing some preaching over there. We saw a restaurant called Hooters, and, um, and had an owl at the front, so we thought it was just a restaurant called Hooters. <laughs> of course, when we got into the restaurant, it wasn't a restaurant, it was a bar, and it had nothing to do with owls. <laughs> uh, the waitresses had really short skirts on and very tight T-shirts. Um, and, and, and then I think, well, just two years ago, I was on a snowboarding trip with my sons and sons-in-law, son-in-law, Aaron, and we were coming back down the mountain and we saw a restaurant called Twin Peaks. What we thought again was just a restaurant called Twin Peaks to do with the mountains. And when we got inside, it had nothing to do with mountains. It had waitresses and short skirts and really tight t-shirts. So in other words, wherever we go, we're confronted by sexual connotations. It's something that's unavoidable in life. And of course, um, sex and sexuality is God created. It must be very clear about that it's god created guys should be interested in girls and girls should be interested in guys and i don't know it changes a little bit from person to person some people might stay single their whole life but basically that's the design of god let's have a look at what the bible says about this concept way back in genesis let's god starts really early and telling us what we need to know about sexuality genesis 2 verses 20 through 25 now I didn't have to put verse 20 in, but I find it so fascinating, um, this verse. And, and so God said to Adam, name all the animals, all right? So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So it's almost like God's plan was originally, I'm going to make all the animals. You choose one to be your helpmate. And Adam's looking at them all going, yeah, I'm not sure. The gorilla, yeah, the hair on the back's not so good. Um, the giraffe, nice lips, the neck's a little long. Uh, can't get there. Um, and there's this, That's what that scripture's is telling me. I'm not making, it's what sort it's of saying. And it's almost like God said, all right, we'll go another direction. We'll go another direction. Um, and I don't know if God was messing with Adam. It could have been just God's sense of humor. Um, and then the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in this place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked the man and his wife and they were not ashamed at their nakedness it's a it's a very clear picture that god created adam and he created eve all right he he created them They, they weren't born they were created which does ponder the question of did they have belly buttons it really does pose that question Because they didn't have an umbilical cord attached and uh, i'm thinking well if god had a design in mind he probably just went perfect and um (laughs) and from then on we all had obviously belly buttons but the point is god created man and a woman as two different biological sexual beings he created man and woman and what he was doing was bringing both sides of god into his creation that's what he was doing he was bringing both sides of himself into his creation and they were designed to be together uh, for companionship no doubt about that but they're also designed to reproduce um, to keep god's creation going from generation to generation so there was dual purpose in the concept that god put together man and a woman they were companions but also to reproduce and, and then they were committed to one another the bible says they became one flesh. And in our day, that means they, they were married. Uh, they were committed to one another. They were, they were in this for good. Um, so God created male and female. Now, the important point about this is even though God created male and female, he also created us with a free will, a volition. So even though if you're created male and or female, you can decide what you do with your sexuality. You, you can decide. The thing is about a free will is that you can decide what you believe, who you want to be, and what you want to do. It's probably the most powerful thing that God gave us as people is the ability to decide. The dilemma with a free will is <laughs> you get to make choices. And uh, therefore, consequences come out of wrong or good choices. So we need to choose in life wisely because there are consequences that are attached to our decision-making. But you do get to choose. You get to choose. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus. You you get to choose that. And I I find it fascinating that even Jesus speaking to his disciples puts this this concept of belief on the table. Um, Let's have a look at the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 25. And they're out in a storm and uh, Jesus is is watching them panic and they're fearful. And look what he says to, to the disciples. And this is the interesting part. he says. And he said to them, where is your faith? You will notice he did not say you need to have more faith or you need to get some faith. He's saying you have faith. Where is it? And that's the question that we've got to continually ask ourselves. See, everybody in the world believes something. They have their faith somewhere. They believe in something, they believe in somebody, they believe something. You, you, you believe things all of the time. So the question is, oh, you don't have faith, it's no, where is your faith? And the point with you and I, that's the same question that God's asked us, where is your faith? Now, this is important. If you choose to put your faith into following Jesus, then you also choose to believe what the Bible says. You can't disassociate those two things you know there are many people that want to follow jesus and i find even even on the, in the the worldly news um when something happens in church life or or about christianity and then somebody says oh i don't think jesus would do that they wouldn't have a clue what jesus would do like you have no idea what you're talking about see opinions have no spiritual weight or force the Word of God is what has spiritual weight or force, not your opinion about the Word of God. And it fascinates me the people out there that know nothing about Jesus are telling us what Jesus would or wouldn't do. And so you see there's this concept here, or this fight. And now, so as believers, we are now putting our faith into Jesus. Now that says we are putting our faith into what the Bible teaches. So Adam and Eve became one flesh. They, they were committed, they got married essentially um, to each other. that means that they were socially connected, emotionally connected, sexually connected and had each other's well-being as the main part of their world. This is the biblical concept of marriage one man, one woman naked and unashamed. very clear we need to be clear otherwise we are confused. so and if I read this correctly then to God, who designed and created sex? Then sex is not sinful, all right. It's not wrong or bad or dirty or evil. It's a God plan. Um, and remember this: this is important for you and I to understand that God never views sin through the eyes of right or wrong or good or bad. We we tend to get stuck on well that's right, that's wrong, well that that's good, that's bad. That's not how God sees sin at all. God doesn't look at sin and go that's wrong or bad. He looks through the eyes of what brings life or what brings death. So he views everything that happens through the eyes of that brings life and that brings death. So when he says sin is wrong or sin is not what we should be doing or stay away from sin, it's not because he doesn't want us to be bad or wrong. He wants us to have life and not death. Because the wages of death, the wages of sin is death. And it mightn't be physical death, but it can be it'll be death in relationships, death in potential. Death and future, wow. death and self-worth. It, there, there's a death attached to sin. So God's not some cosmic wet blanket yeah. trying to stop everybody's fun. He's saying, "Hey, no! If you go this way, you're going to get life and more abundantly. But if you go this way, then there's a consequence of death that's going to come around your life." Wow. Wow. So, 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 sin is, so. Sex is not sinful. It's it's God's plan. It's God's design for companionship and for reproduction. But He's designed sexuality that it's best for everybody when it's done in the confines of a one flesh marriage situation. That's how it works best, all right? Uh, uh, Commitment. Uh, uh, See, privilege should always carry responsibility. I want you to think about that. Privilege should always carry responsibility because privilege without responsibility will corrupt itself Any privilege that any person gets any sort of power without accountability It will corrupt them eventually Any privilege you get if you're privileged because you get the right to have a privilege and you don't have responsibility attached to that That privilege will corrupt you So we've got to understand. So what I'm saying is that that sex is a privilege and therefore it should have the responsibility connected to it as well. So so sex is a privilege and should be tied to the responsibility, listen to this, to the outcomes of sexual relationships. The privilege of sex should be tied to the responsibility of the outcomes of sexual relationships. Proverbs chapter five, verses 18 through 23 says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her mm-mm, satisfy you at all times. I'm not sure if I can say that in church. Um, but it's, it's a Bible. Um, you're reading it. I'm not making it up. Um, and I'm not even sure what your fountain is anyway. And um, let mm-mm, satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman? So there's there's a sense of straight away is that sexual relations is to be done in the context of a committed married relationship, not with an immoral woman, not outside of this committed relationship. Um, Why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. saying, you, you, if you end up in sin, not because it's bad, but because it leads to death. He is caught in the cords of his sin and shall what? Die. See, and there's a sense of that, that sin is connected to death. And so God says, don't do that. Not because it's bad or it's wrong, but it's going to take you in a death position. It's going to take you in a death trajectory. Yeah. Don't do that because it's not good for you. That's what he's basically saying. And he shall die of lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Um, There was a marriage seminar going on a little while ago. And um, they were doing a a survey uh, on sex. And um, the the guy that was running all this was doing a little bit of a a quiz and uh, asking people, like, um, on sex, how how often do you have it? And and he was asking people. And he says, if you do, maybe have sex twice a week, just put up your hands and go show our hands. And and then... uh, once a month and and then he said maybe there's somebody here that only has sex once every six months. Is there anybody like that? And and uh, one guy put up his hand and he was smiling. <laughs> and the guy looked at him and said, You only have sex every six months? Why are you smiling? He said, Tonight is the night. <laughs> God has deemed that the best place for sexual relations is within the the confines of a marriage. It's the best for the couple, it's the best for the children, it's the best for the family, it's the best for the community, and it's the best for civilization. It's not just a a precious uh, feeling about this, there is a reason behind God's plan as is stated in the Bible. It's the best for the couple, the children, the family, the community and civilization it's not based on feelings it's a commitment to generations 1 Corinthians chapter 7 2 and 3 says this nevertheless and I find this is Paul speaking and uh, Paul never got married as far as is that right he never got married no he decided to love Jesus so that was enough um, and he said nevertheless because of sexual immorality let <laughs> well, <and> each man <laughs> uh, I find it I find amusing Paul's leadership sorry sometimes um, No, look. What he's saying is, I can do this. I can be a celibate my whole life. But you bunch, (laughs) nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Anything outside of this biblical pattern, it's not God's plan. It's as simple as that, it's not God's best for any of us, and it's what the Bible calls sexual immorality. So when when you, you think of the word sexual immorality in context with the Bible, it's anything outside of God's plan that we've just read about. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put some scriptures up on the um screen right now i'm not going to read them out to you you're going to have to read them as i put them up there but i want you to see what the bible says about sexual immorality and uh and then we'll talk a little bit later afterwards about some of the things firstly one thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5 for this is the will of god like the Gentiles who do not know God. Romans chapter one, verses 24 through 27. Therefore God also gave them receiving in themselves a the penalty of their error which was due. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery is sexual relations outside of the marriage context. Fornication is sexual relations when you are not married. Just as I also told you in the time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, it's a very clear picture of what sexual immorality looks like. And it tells us right there at the end that if you want God's best, don't do those things. That's what it says. If you want God's best, don't be involved in those things. And again, it's not because they're wrong or bad. People aren't wrong or bad. They're just going on in the right direction. They're either going towards death or they're going towards life and uh, so and we've just read we have sexual desires and physical needs so the bible tells us to find a husband or a wife we just read that as a matter of fact uh, a while back um, i remember the story of, of an engaged couple uh, the fiance i um, went to his pastor uh, because he was having He's about to get married and he thought he had a spirit of lust and he said to the pastor he said you got to help me here I'm having sexual thoughts about my wife to be I think I've got a spirit of lust can you cast it out of me and um, the pastor looked at him and said well, well I can do that um, but after you get married I have to cast it back in because um, <laughs> that's a normal connection between man and woman so the interesting thing is that we're born to have these desires and they're important to us but understand this Still, to this day, the most powerful sex organ in the body is still the mind. It's still the mind, all right? And therefore, we've got this this correlation, and it's like a tension between our flesh, our desires, what we feel, what we want, what we'd like to do, uh, against what the Spirit of God or the Bible is telling us to do. And the way we deal with that tension, it's a God-given tension. Because both these things are seen. It's not either or. It's both. It's and. And we've got to learn to how to, to live with those things. And so, now our, our, our way that God designed us is to create a, a, a spirit or a soul and a mind, and get that in the right position, and that we can deal with this tension between the flesh and and and, and, and what God says to do. So, look, Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through six says this. though we walk in the flesh it's not trying to we walk in it in other words we've got desires we've got feelings we we think certain things you know the whole thing um we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare the weapons of our struggle with this tension all right are not carnal but they're mighty in god in other words god's given us the answer and the resource to deal with this tension between the flesh and what's right all right or what brings life Uh, and it says this for our warfare is not carnal, but it's mighty in god for pulling down strongholds, casting down, and this is what we need to do right here. This is, the, this is where we get to play our part in this. We need to cast down arguments and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I want you to hear that. That's really important because as soon as we leave the building, there are going to be messages that come to you and I that oppose what God says. Straight away, as soon as we walk out there, you're going to get a message that say, "You know what? It's not right. It's not true. God doesn't exist." You don't have to do it like that. And we've got to cast down those. We've got to actually take authority in our soul to cast down those arguments. Yeah. All right. Don't. And this is what goes on. It says, "Every high thing exalts itself to the of god, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ." All right. And being ready to punish all disobedience when obedience is fulfilled. And it's a very clear picture here that our way to deal with this tension of, of flesh and the spirit is that we need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, that means your mind, <laughs> your mind is a place where a lot of things can happen at one time. And if you let wrong thoughts stay in your head, you, they will confuse you. They will take you in a direction. Right? See, so the Bible says to bring those thoughts into captivity. It's like what we do with criminals. We don't let them run loose in society because they cause havoc. We put them in jail. If you let criminal thoughts loose in your mind and don't deal with them, they're going to create havoc in your soul. So we've got to, we've got to learn to pull down those things that exalt themselves against the Word of God. First, you've got to know the Word of God so you know which ones to pull down. And then you do, then you've got to bring your thoughts that are anti-God or anti-Bible into captivity. Yeah. Then the Bible goes on and says, meditate on the things that are pure and noble and praiseworthy. Yeah. So what we've got to let loose in our mind is the word of God. Yeah. Bring down the thoughts that oppose God's word, the thoughts, the messages from out there, whatever the world's trying to tell us that is anti-scripture, put them into captivity, and then loose the word of God into our minds. That's why we need to meditate on the things of God. All right, so same with our thought life. Take those wrong thoughts into captivity. Don't entertain them. Instead, think on godly things, good things. Set those thoughts free in our mind. Well, I, I can understand. I, I, I find it hard to control my thought life. Well, I can't. I, I, and, and there are some people that do have issues that I understand their thoughts are a difficult scenario. But for most of us, we have the ability to control our thought life. That's right. It's not we can't. It's often we won't. You know, the truth is, we can't, I can well, I can't stop swearing, Pastor Mark. You know what? If every time you swore, I'd pull the fingernail out, I reckon you'd stop pretty soon. I think you'd stop swearing. Most of you just won. Some of you, two. One of you, three. But eventually you would. And it's the same with our thought life, it's not that we can't, it's often that we won't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've just got to realise that, but we can, yeah. that's the, we, we can. And it doesn't make us perfect, it's not as though we're not going to have failures along the way, we're not going to be the perfect person for the rest of it. I'm not saying that at all. But with God's help you can live a life that's pretty close to what God wants. Yeah. You can, I don't think it, we'll all be perfect. If we, if we could get perfect, we'd never need a savior. So Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But we can live a life that's towards God in a very powerful way if we start to control what we think and what we let in and what we let loose, probably more than what we let in, what we let loose, take those thoughts captive. And this is why it's so important. Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says this. Whoever has no rule over his spirit or his soul or his mind is like a city broken down without walls now remember back in the day when this was written this was a a time where uh that walls around cities were significantly important because if you're a city without a wall you could be plundered at any time you had no level of protection you you were vulnerable you are a a victim city in other words people could come in any time night or day and steal what they want they could take and what does that mean for the people live in that city that means they always live on the edge they don't have peace in their heart they live in fear and anxiety and I want to tell you if you don't take control of your soul you become like that city the enemy can steal your joy You hope he can come at any time and plunder and take what he wants. And because you're now a little confused and uneasy, now we've got anxiety and and a lack of peace around our lives, all because we have not decided to take control of our thinking and our believing. This is our responsibility to allow God to do what he needs to do in the renewing. God did not say he would remove our mind. He said he would renew our mind. All right? And it's a part of this whole thing is getting our soul in the right condition so God can do what he needs to do. It leads to confusion, anxiety, no hope, depression, wrong choices, strange thoughts and desires, and on and on it goes because you are a city without a wall. You're a soul without protection because you have not brought the wrong thoughts into captivity. So important to saturate ourselves with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And find ourselves feeding off the Word of God continually over and over again God has given us a free will you choose what you want to believe and you choose how you want to do your life but if you want to follow Jesus then the Bible says it like this 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 through 20 it says flee sexual immorality and I find that significant because most other places in the Bible, when God calls us into some sort of spiritual battle, he'll say, when you've done all, stand. It'll be, don't sit down, don't shut up, keep going. There's a sense of when you've prayed, pray until. But here, what we see God say is not stand against sexual immor- immorality. It says, run from it. Wow. Flee yeah. from it. What does that tell you? It tells me we're very vulnerable. Wow. That's, right. yeah. that's, that's, that's what you've got and I've looked at probably one of the greatest people in the Bible, and he was known as a man after God's own heart, and that was King David, and yet he fell with Bathsheba just because he saw her on a rooftop having a bath. And I think if he's a man after God's own heart, and he can fall, then there's no hope for the rest of us unless we put the right things in place. Flee sexual immorality. I put protective measures around my life so I'm not caught. in in a place for example even just recently um i was i had a few people down at our house and one of the uh one of the staff girls must have been she must have been 13 or 14 and i said i'm just going to go down to the the shop and buy some bread uh for the chicken and stuff like that and and uh, the the mother said well take her with you you know and it was just a a trip to the shop with a fifth 14 year old girl and lee says not a chance (laughs) not a chance He's not, she's not going in that car with Pastor Mark he can't afford any statements against him he can't afford even the, the look of something going wrong and it's and and that sense of we've got to make sure we present ourselves in an area that we're free from even the mishaps or possibilities of people saying wrong things about you I have to be careful what I say today because people can take sound grabs and put them all over the media and take one statement <laughs> and go look what he said that's not what he said It's just one statement. So again, flee sexual immorality. Why? Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorifying God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. So, once we choose to put our faith in Jesus, we choose to believe what that says, and we choose to follow the teachings of what the Bible is telling us. Not because they're, they're, that's wrong, it's because it leads to the wrong direction. Yeah. God's got your best at heart, not your worst. Everything He tells us to do or not to do is not determined because of good or bad, but life or death. Yeah. Jesus said, Where is your faith to the disciples? Jesus' followers put their faith in Jesus and the teachings of the Bible because they believe that God's ways are higher than our ways. That's what we believe and I, I've got to agree. <laughs> I, I look at humanity and I look at where we're up to in the world and you think that this is the smartest humanity's ever been? What a mess. I mean we're the most technical savvy people on the planet in, in history. I mean, we can light fires without rubbing sticks together, for goodness sake. We've built wheels instead of pushing things along the ground. Uh, I mean, we've come thousands of years of technology and convenience and all these sorts of things. We can go to the spaceship and the moon and back. We've got phones that can do anything. And look at the mess the world's in. <laughs> look, look at the mess the world's in. They're still trafficking children for sexual exploitation. Still can't get on with each other because of color and race. <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on again. We've got wars in Russia and Ukraine. China trying to buy the world up. I, I don't know if we live in an era where we're so smart after all. It would seem to me that our ways are not so good. It would seem to me that Jesus' ways are the best ways. Okay. Jesus' believers decide to follow and put their faith... In Jesus in the teachings of the Bible because God's ways are for mankind for all of us as I look around the world I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus is our only hope and his ways what the Bible teaches us are the best plan for you your family and your family's family in Jesus mighty name let's bow our heads close our eyes Lord I thank you for this great group of people I thank you that you're doing amazing things in them and through them and amongst them I pray today that this word would speak deep into their hearts and help them give them clarity, God, about what the Bible says on certain things and we thank you today that um, that you'd help us all with that tension between flesh and the spirit. God, we'd see our part to play is to to work on our soul and our mind and God, with that you can do miracles in us and through us because you've always had the best for every one of us and I don't know everybody here today, but I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He wants the best for your life. He always has and always will. The best start you can ever make in life is to decide that his ways are higher than our ways and respond by believing upon Jesus today. And if you have never decided to do that, today could be your day of salvation. We say, you know what? I'm going to believe upon Jesus. The Bible says if you believe upon Jesus, you shall be saved maybe you need to come back recommit your life reconnect with god afresh, you go, god i'm back i'm in let's do this together but whatever it is i'd love to pray with you right where you sit it's not going to embarrass you but if that's you today and say you know what pray with me today i need i need god again afresh in my life or for the very first time would you slip your hand up give me a wave and say you know what pray with me today include me in that prayer so look from the front to the back from the left to the right lord i thank you for every person that's on that journey towards you today I thank you that you'd forgive us of every mistake, every sin. God, and remember them never, ever again. You're a great God, a good God, a loving God. And we thank you that you're not against us. You're for us. You will not forsake us. Bless these people, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. all the Greed said, amen. amen. Let's-